Would you continue in prayer with me? Father, I just want to say thank you that we get to be here together as family, as brothers and sisters, um, all because of what Jesus has done. And we just ask in these moments, Father, that you would pour out your spirit upon us um, in fresh and new ways. We need your spirit, Father, to open our eyes that we would see wonderful things out of your law. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and teach us? Teach us through your word. And Jesus, be lifted high in, these pla- in this place. We pray these, pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are a runner, we are entering the best time of year to live in Houston, Texas. I know I'm getting some nods from some of you. Others are like, there's no time of year that I want to go for a run. I don't know what you're talking about. Whether I'm in Houston or anywhere else, no matter what the temperature is, I do not want to go for a run at any time. And if that's you, I understand. I just, I just want to say that at the outset. I, uh, I actually remember being a high school student here in Houston, and two of my mentors were Denver McAllister and uh, Brett Taff, who both are um, part of our church family here. And I remember being like a 16-year-old kid, and they were training for the Houston Marathon in January. And I was like, what is wrong with these guys? Like, why would anybody do that to themselves? Why would you put yourself through like all of this training, and you have to be really careful with what you eat, and you're like doing all these workouts, and you know that you're going to hit a wall at some point between miles 16 and 26, and you're going to feel like dying. Like, why would anybody subject themselves to this? And uh, as time went on, I, I began to become a runner myself and enjoyed running, but still, like, watching the Houston Marathon, my favorite thing to do is to like sit on the side of the road and just sip my coffee and kind of wear my jacket and just enjoy the nice brisk morning and just cheer for everyone good for you guys y'all are doing great and uh but there's always that moment where it kind of hits me like I wonder if I could do that I maybe I should be out there and then I realize that there is a big difference between sitting on the side and cheering and sipping your coffee and subjecting yourself to all of the training the months and months of training that goes into being ready to participate, to perform like that on the spot. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes. There's a lot that happens in secret in order to make that possible. And it reminds me actually of, I don't know if you caught it on the way in, we like to put up a reflection quote. There's this quote by Miguel de Cervantes who famously wrote Don Quixote and it says this, it's one thing to praise discipline and it's another to submit yourself to it. It's one thing to praise discipline, to sit on the side like I like to do and clap and sit by coffee. You guys are doing awesome. It's another thing to put on the, the number, right, and go out there and participate. And similarly, when we take a look at Matthew 6 today, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about disciplines that are meant to be done in secret, and, uh, and as we do, I want us to see that, um, that in, our, in our relationship with the Lord in the Christian life, there are these tried and true spiritual disciplines that are going to feel like waking up in the morning and going for a run. And if we're honest, all of us like to just applaud people that do that. That's great for you that you do that, but I, it's a lot more comfortable here on the side of the road sipping my coffee 
And what Jesus is going to show us here in, in Matthew chapter 6, he's just walked us through in the Sermon on the Mount what it looks like to live the kingdom life. What life in the kingdom of God looks like. He's given us the what. And it's this beautiful picture of even loving your enemies. It's this picture of wholehearted obedience to God because he's worthy. Ultimately, coming out of what we saw in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, remember how this sermon began. It's been a while since we were there, but way back in May we covered this. And this would have been just moments earlier for the original listeners. And Jesus said, if you want to know how to enter the kingdom, this is how it works. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, the way into my kingdom is by admitting that you cannot save yourself. It's by admitting, I am bankrupt of spirit. Jesus, I have nothing with which to commend myself to the Father. Even my righteous acts are done with wrong motives to glorify myself. And Jesus says, if that's you, if that's you today, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I need your help. I need saving. Jesus says, welcome. When we trust in him as our Savior, we believe in him as our Lord, we are made righteous. We're declared righteous. But Jesus says, come and follow me. Come and take up these tried and true disciplines that you would be able to run in this race. And what we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 6 as we examine the spiritual disciplines is that these disciplines are incredibly necessary, and yet there's also danger here that we would do all this religious activity for the wrong reason. In chapter 6, he's going to point us to the how of the Christian life. What should the motivation of our heart be? Because man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And what we're going to see today is when we practice the disciplines in secret, including giving, prayer, and fasting, fueled by grace, we will grow in maturity and receive the great reward. So I want us to take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus gives us kind of his thesis. This is the introduction that's going to help guide our time through verses 2 through 4 about giving, verses 5 through 15 about prayer, and verses 16 through 18 about fasting. And in verse 1, Jesus says it this way, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If you were with us back in the month of May, we studied the Beatitude where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, they shall be satisfied. We talked about this word righteousness, it's the Greek word dikaiosune, and it has to do with right relationships. First and foremost, a right relationship with God. Us coming before Him and admitting that we are poor in spirit and we are in need of His saving grace and trusting in Him for the forgiveness of our sins. But that actually overflows into right relationships with others, including the needy, which is what we're about to dive into. It even includes a right relationship with ourself, how we think about our own self, how we think about our body. All these things are going to come up in Jesus' teaching. It's incredible how practical He gets here. And Jesus says, if you have been made right with God, which only comes by faith in his finished work and who Jesus is, then necessarily overflowing, that are gonna, overflowing from that identity are going to be acts of righteousness. And Jesus says, beware. 
Now, I want us to see what he's warning about here. He's now talking about religious activity, and he's not down on practicing righteousness. He's not down on, on deeds overflowing out of our faith, out of our identity in him. But what he's warning against here is beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Let me pause there. He's not even saying you should never give if there are people around. You should never pray if there are people around. You should never fast if you're going to be interacting with people. Here's his intent. I want us to see this. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, if your intention with your religious activity is to be seen by other people, then the Father will step aside and say, you've got your reward right there. Whatever that just purchased for you socially, that is your reward. And Jesus is going to show us this is a great tragedy. And it's also incredibly dangerous. That we would begin to think that our religious activity would somehow uh, make us right before God apart from what he has done. But also that we actually, what's underneath this is what we're seeking is glory for ourselves. This is all going to be a worship issue as we talk about giving and prayer and fasting. And Jesus is saying, beware because you're going to get the reward that you're seeking, and that's the applause of men. And what you're actually seeking is for them to worship you, for you to receive glory instead of God. And he, and you were made to give him glory. That's where your heart's most full of joy. And so what Jesus is going to say is, if you will live your life and you will practice your righteousness in the presence of God, if you will live for your Father alone, oh, will he reward you. This is the only begotten Son, the Spirit-anointed Son of the Father saying, let me tell you what He's like. He will reward you. And so let's dive in and see this in these three disciplines that He lays out for us. As a reminder, the purpose of the spiritual disciplines, as one Christian author, Richard Foster, said, the disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can transform us. They're not ends, they're means to the end of meeting with God communing with him, knowing him more intimately. These are just ways to place ourselves before him. So let's talk about giving. We're going to see that generosity actually leads to gratitude in our hearts. As you see it in verse 2, Jesus said, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Did you hear that worship language there? Praised. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Note that Jesus says it twice. He says, when you give, when you give. He is assuming that those who follow him, those who have who have received his grace, will be moved to compassion to care for those around him. We've just seen that kingdom ethic in Matthew 5. What overflows out of a heart that recognizes that it is poor in spirit and has received grace from Jesus is care for those around us in need. In uh, the way that the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians is this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 
And if you, if you were to go back later this afternoon and just dive into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you would see a beautiful explanation of the right heart behind generosity. Christian giving, this sacrificial giving as an act of worship to God. And Jesus assumes that his, his disciples are going to give. And it begs the question for me and for all of us in the room, do you give? Do you give? And I'm not even talking about Seven Mile Road here necessarily, although I hope that that's an act of worship for you before God if this is your church home. I'm talking about wherever God is calling you to partner with him in his work of caring for those in need, in our city and in the world. Jesus says, when you give, he says, do it in secret. And let's see what he's getting at here. He's, he uses this image of a trumpet. It's like the, the religious leaders would parade the fact that they were giving. You get this image of like a trumpet leading the way of this processional as they're going to give. And, and some scholars think maybe he's talking about the noise that the money would make when you drop it into the offering box in the temple. Others think he's just trying to get us to think of this ridiculous image of everyone, look at me, look at what I'm doing. And Jesus is saying the Father sees that. He knows what's going on there. And he says, okay, there's your reward. This doesn't involve me. This is between you and everyone else that you're trying to win their approval. And Jesus says, oh, what a tragedy that is. That you would live for the praise of others instead of the praise of the one true God in whose presence there's fullness of joy. And on the contrary, the way he teaches his disciples to give is don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You ever thought about that before? Like, which actions do you do in which your left hand does not know what your right hand is doing? These are actions that are muscle memory. I mean, it reminds me of when I was a 16-year-old kid learning to drive a stick shift in Houston, which is tricky with all the traffic and stopping, and uh, I drove a Jeep Wrangler, and I remember being so nervous being out on the road for the first time, like, okay, I need to be in second gear as I'm getting ready to turn because I don't want to be going too fast, and like, I would think through all the mechanics of it, but then you get to this point where you're like, ah, I'm just driving, and I'm not even, I don't even know what gear I'm in, I'm just feeling it, you know, like I'm just, I'm just going down the road, and, uh, or it's like learning to speak a language, like if it's your native language, you're not thinking about how to conjugate verbs, right, you're just talking, you're just, you're just flowing, and that is, that is what Jesus is saying here about giving, he's saying a heart that recognizes that it is bankrupt of spirit and has received the grace of Jesus, it will be muscle memory, out of reverence for God and worship and glory to him, a desire to praise him, it'll be muscle memory to care for those in need. And so let me just ask you the question I've been asking myself all week. Is that true for you and your discipleship journey and your apprenticeship to Jesus? I know this one might feel like going out and running seven miles to get ready for a marathon. It's like, oh, this one kind of hurts. And Jesus is saying, that the Father will reward you. Now, just to be clear, he's not talking about rewarding you with a new Tesla or something like that. He is talking about the, the joy of his sweet presence. Like when you partner with him in his work and you know that you're responding in obedience to what he has put on your heart, there is so much joy there. There's so much gratitude and recognizing, Lord, all that I have is yours and you gave me not only an opportunity, but even the means by which I could be a blessing to this person. Thank you, Lord. You get all the glory for that. 
Do you know that? Is that a part of your rhythms? Is it a discipline for you? You know, I was thinking this week, this passage that's all about prayer and giving and even fasting. I was thinking about George Mueller. I don't know if you guys have done any reading on George Mueller. If not, you should look up some George Mueller quotes later uh, and it will do good things for your soul. But George Mueller lived from 1805 to 1898 in Bristol, England. He's best known for the orphanages that he helped start and run. Um, And at this time, many orphans lived in uh, just terrible situations uh, in in, uh, workhouses or on the streets in England. And George Mueller, because of his love for Jesus, because of his faith in him, he helped start these orphanages that cared for as many as 2,000 orphans at one time. Like he lived a life of radical generosity. Everything that he ever had, he gave to these, these children in need to provide for them. And over the course of his lifetime, it's estimated that he was a part of helping care for over 10,000 orphans. And I was reading, I wanted to learn from our brother in Christ, George, who we'll meet one day, uh, about giving. Because I have some things to learn from him. And one of the things that he said, he says, Many of the children of God lose in a great measure the privilege and also the blessing to their own souls of sharing with the Lord in his work providing for the necessities of the poor for want of a regular habit of giving. So often we just don't have this habit in our weekly and monthly rhythm. And as a result, we're missing out on sharing with the Lord and his work. And so someone asked him, well, how do I give, George? He says, seek to keep before you that the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed us and that we are not our own, but we are bought with a price All then that we have belongs to him. And we have to look on our possessions as a faithful steward. He went on to say, with regard to the amount to be given, no rule can be laid down because what we ought to do should not be done in a legal spirit, but from love and gratitude to the blessed one who died for us. So what he's saying is like the Old Testament concept of a tithe linked to the the temple and the sacrificial system, 10%. That's a great floor. But this, this brother in Christ experienced the grace of Jesus and said, Lord, how can I be a part of what you're doing? I want to give it all to you. I know we hear that as American Christians. We're like, yeah, I'm not doing that, you know. Uh, but, but George Mueller, when you hear him talk about the joy and the gratitude in his, from seeing God provide and care for these, these children, this, this man understood what it is to be blessed, truly joyful in the Lord. You see, as we trust Jesus and work this into our rhythms, generosity leads to gratitude. But not only that, let's turn our attention to prayer. We're going to see that neediness leads to nearness when we practice these rhythms of prayer. And and, uh, so look back with me at verse 5. This could be a whole sermon series, verses 5 through 15, but we're we're going to focus in on what Jesus is teaching us about the secret. And he says, In verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If I can just pause there for a moment, I want us to see Jesus in the section on giving, he says, when you give, when you give. But here in this section of prayer, we get it three times. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray. 
And I've been asking myself the question all week, Michael, do you pray? Do you pray? Do you pray? Is it just an obligatory, like we're, we're now sharing a meal, so it's time to pray, or we're with our house church, so we're going to pray in these moments, but he's talking about in the secret place, when no one else is around, when you finally have a few moments to be still in your spare time, do you run to meet with the Father as just a discipline, even if you don't feel like it? And here's what, here's what Jesus says. He says in verse 6, notice all the activity here, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And brothers and sisters, I just want to ask the question, do you believe what Jesus is saying here? Do you believe that when you go and prioritize that time in the secret, that he will reward you? Don't you love that he's so realistic about the human condition? He knows that we're children, that we need that reward. He doesn't just say, do it because I said so. He says, my father will meet you there. It's going to be a rich reward, and it is greater intimacy with him. Notice that he says, not only that the father sees in secret, he said that in the giving section. Here he says it again. The Father sees in secret. He's going to say it in the fasting section. The Lord is El Roy, the God who sees. He doesn't miss a thing. He's not missing any of the moments in which you are seeking to honor him in the, in the private times in your life when no one else catches it. He sees all of it. But not only that, he is in secret. So every time you go to the effort and you take the time to shut the door and have a few moments with the Lord, Jesus promises us in his word, which every word of God proves true, it is living and active, it's God-breathed. Jesus himself is guaranteeing you the Father is in secret. He's as near to you as the air on your skin. And he will reward you. And so Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like, that word hypocrites refers to the actors of the day who would wear masks. Maybe you've heard this before. Jesus says, stop the performance. Don't fake it. Go and meet with your father in secret. He will reward you. I don't know if you're anything like me. You hear this, all this talk about in the secret. And maybe you think, Michael, honestly, like the way that I spend my time in secret doesn't look anything like giving and prayer and fasting. It looks like indulging my selfish desires. It looks like committing sin. It looks like vegging out. It looks like all sorts of things, uh, but not like this. And I just, I, uh, I want to encourage you with this today. I want to encourage you that Jesus in the other passage where he teaches on the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 he says, he goes on to say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, he says, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is saying the greatest gift you could ever receive, the good gift, is the Holy Spirit. Is the Father pouring more of His Spirit upon you? You enjoying His sweet presence and fellowship and communion more than you ever have before. That is better than anything money could buy. He is better than any comfort or pleasure you could possibly know. 
And Jesus is saying, try me in this. Prioritize time in the secret with no one around. Don't just pray like with a mask on, trying to pretend like you're a person of religious piety with all these activities. I know. He says, I see through all of it. Would you just come humbly and honestly and say, Lord, here I am again, poor in spirit. I need you. Teach me how to pray. And beautifully, he's given us a model prayer. We call this the Lord's Prayer. You could call it the disciples' prayer because it's the Lord's Prayer that he gave to the disciples when they are asking, I don't know how to pray, Lord. And maybe you feel like that, like I do. Maybe you feel like you're just fumbling through this important work of prayer. This is really at the heart of our relationship with God, our communion with him. I would say, pray this. I mean, pray the scriptures. There's no better place to start than right here. Maybe this week what you do is you, you focus on, Lord, I want to learn to pray like you taught me to pray. And you just take those words, our Father in heaven, and you just take that and run with it. Tell him thank you. Give him glory and honor and praise that he is a father who has made a way for us to be adopted into his family because of what Jesus has done. You could go through this entire prayer that way. God, I want you to be honored as holy. I want you to be glorified in my life and the life of those around me. Would you take this as, um, as a tried and true spiritual discipline, spiritual practice, saying, Lord, I'm going to submit myself to this, and I trust, I'm holding on to the promise that you're going to meet me there, and the reward's going to be better than anything else I could chase. You know, Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, says, prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. I love that. That's it. He knows that it's hard. He knows that all these practices that he's giving us are just very un-American, if we're honest. It's like giving just cuts at my greed. Prayer cuts at my self-sufficiency and pride. Fasting is going to cut at my desire for just indulging whatever desire I have and craving and comfort and pleasure. Jesus says, I know. Bring your helplessness to me. I'll meet you there. George Mueller for the win. Again, I just have to throw out one more George Mueller quote. He says, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. He says, the first concern is not how much I might serve the Lord, but how my inner person might be nourished. That's the goal. Bring your helplessness to Jesus. Say, Lord, I don't feel like doing this. There's so much on my to-do list, but I'm coming into your presence poor in spirit saying, Lord, would you fill me? Would you empower me to walk out into this day to honor you? Um, Prayer teaches us that neediness leads to nearness. He will reward us with his sweet presence. I would just say this. Um, We talk about this every month and we put a big emphasis on it. If you, uh, if you haven't had a chance to come to our prayer meeting on the first Wednesday, please come this Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'm not saying this just as an announcement. I'm saying this because in my, in my relationship with the Lord, in my prayer life, there's nothing that makes me want to go run to the secret place and spend time with the Father like getting to pray together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and getting to praise the Lord together. That strengthens my faith and my desire to go meet with Him in the secret. And by the way, when I'm meeting with Him in the quiet place, it makes me want to run to prayer meeting and be together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. He has designed our faith to be communal. If this is a season where you just feel dry in your faith, 
Would you come and pray with us and sing praises to the Lord and watch him rekindle that flame in you? Because our neediness leads to greater nearness. And I want us to, I want us to see this fasting section. Look down with me at verses 16. We're going to see that our emptiness leads to enjoyment. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Did you feel that pattern again? When you fast, when you fast. We just talked about prayer and giving. And now Jesus is talking about fasting, and it is assumed that his followers will fast. I think for many of us, we're like, oh yeah, I missed that one. I uh, haven't really done that. And, uh, and that's why, as a community, we try to practice this together so we can learn to fast and pray. It's why we, why we spend time every year in January doing a communal fast, time to call out to the Lord. Each of us picks a day that we're going to participate. And also August to September, many of you participated in that with us. And I would just say, perhaps this is a season for you where the Lord is saying, hey, don't let that just be a one time a year thing. Maybe he is putting it on your heart today. What if you picked one day a month? that you're going to set aside time during those meals instead of eating to say, Lord, I hunger for you more than anything else. I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth to feast on him in that way. Maybe it's a meal a week that you would cultivate these regular rhythms and not just praise discipline, but submit yourself to it. You see, fasting is a tried and true spiritual discipline that, that places ourselves before the Lord. The early church fathers believed that a person's appetites are linked, right? Like full stomachs oftentimes take the edge off of our hunger and thirst for righteousness because we're just used to that immediate satisfaction, that immediate comfort, that immediate pleasure. And, and, uh, and Jesus says, when you fast, and the right motivation, when Jesus was asked about fasting in Matthew 9, he said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them, and then they will fast. The right motivation for fasting is, Lord, I want to be with you one day. I am longing for the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm longing for when we will all be gathered around your table as brothers and sisters who have been redeemed by your, by your blood to worship you and enjoy you and feast together. And until that day... I submit myself to this discipline that it would grow my appetite for prayer and for communion with you. I think we can learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Again, I, I, uh, as an American, as a Houstonian, this one's hard for me. Like, I love good food. Uh, and, and yet, yet, as you learn from brothers and sisters in Christ from other parts of the world, um, I... Uh, I had a chance to travel to India, as many of you have heard, and just like learned so much about fasting and prayer. I read a book this summer by Dave Clayton, a pastor in, in Nashville, um, and he, he writes about how he and his wife traveled to, to Nairobi, Kenya, and, uh, and were just so blown away by their brothers and sisters in Christ there and their hunger for God, their love for God, their desire to worship Him, their belief in the power of prayer, the way that they love their friends who don't know Jesus. Like, they were just blown away. They're like, how do you remain so spiritually vibrant? 
Like, how are you so alive in Christ? And this one sister in Christ, Carol, said this, you know, Dave, much of what you see here is the simple result of prayer and fasting. We consistently practice the communal act of self-denial or fasting, so we will have the strength and clarity that is needed to live faithfully for Jesus in a culture that's obsessed with self-gratification. Wow. She said, we live these rhythms regularly. Note, note that fasting always goes with prayer. That's kind of the anchor of this passage. It's also the anchor of the Sermon on the Mount. Fasting without prayer is just dieting, right? But it's always linked with prayer. It's meant to make us hunger for God. And we have a lot to learn from the global church of what it looks like for us to grow in our hunger for God. And Jesus says, don't miss it, your father sees, even though nobody else does, hopefully, your father sees, and he will reward you. And so friends, let me invite you in response to the grace of Jesus, not to earn anything. His grace is opposed to earning. We can't earn his, but it's not opposed to effort. When rightly understood, his grace should make us want to be near to him, should make us want to grow, to enjoy him more and more. Would you submit yourself to these disciplines? Would you ask him, Lord, where are you inviting me to take my next steps with you in terms of generosity, in terms of prayer, in terms of fasting? In order that we might enjoy the greatest gift, the greatest reward, which is more of his presence, more of his spirit, him leading in our lives, us enjoying intimacy with him. So to conclude, let me just say this. No matter where you are, whether you are still considering what it means to follow Jesus or whether you've known him for a long time, the way that we will grow and persevere in this kingdom life is by trusting in him, looking to him as our great reward. Do you see that Jesus is the one who lived a life of perfect self-giving, generosity. All he ever did was pour himself out in deeds of compassion for those around him because of his relationship with God. He lived a life of prayer. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He taught us how to fast. He perfectly obeyed in his 40 days of fasting and prayer by feasting on God's word, Jesus obeyed in all the places where we have failed, both out in the open and in the secret. He sees every one of our hidden sins, and yet he loved us enough to come and die for us and rise again. Would you place your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins? And would you run to the secret place to meet with him day after day that he would strengthen you to live on his mission? Amen? Let me pray for us.